Welcome to the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. I'm your host, Corey Graham. Join us here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where the independent new authors come first. Right now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable, I'm sitting with author Arlene S. Mighton. Arlene, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's really exciting. You have a new book out in stores right now. It's titled The Viet Co Conundrum. What's the book all about? Well, the book is about a missionary movement in Vietnam. And I start with having a woman in the United States who's struggling with COVID-19 and her two children who are very upset that they have to be inside. Hmm. She sits them down and tells them about the missionaries and their hard struggles. And after that, the children rethink that there perhaps can be a better attitude on their part and they become more compliant to working through COVID-19. How did the idea come about for this? Well, I've had it in my mind for many years. When I was a uh, young nurse in nurses training, I attended a church where many of the missionaries from the Christian Missionary Alliance were in Vietnam. And I remember coming to one prayer meeting where we heard in the Tet Offensive that missionaries had died. And then in 1975, another group of missionaries almost died. And I thought, do they ever apologize for the deaths of these missionaries? Mm -hmm. I wanted to write about it with hopefully that that is resolved someday. Did you have any certain group of readers in mind while you were writing this? I was thinking of just a general audience, naturally, Mm. to a Christian community of interest. Mm. But it's a play, and I'm looking forward to how someone would put that on in a play because the narrator is one of the main parts of the book, and it's very fascinating how they edited it. When it comes to playwriting, what's your background? I've never written a play until I studied it in university. I'm doing my degree in English literature, which has been very uh, challenging and great. And last year I studied playwriting, and it was quite an advanced class. And I thought, I'm going to try and write a play. And so I thought, this is the subject I'd like to write about, the Vietnam era with the missionaries. So I drafted it, and Covenant Books said it's fantastic. Wow, congratulations. That's so exciting. Uh, Did this take you a long time to do? A year. It Mm. took me a year. And before this, have you ever written anything else before or been published? Yes, I had published my first book, Ben of Nicklewood, which Mm. is about a homeless man in California, Los Angeles, who eventually dies and goes to heaven. And the nurse that took care of him was upset that he hadn't finished his work on earth, and she goes to heaven to deal with it. And they have a long conversation, and then she resolves some of her anger and comes back and contacts the mother, and they work to improve the plight of homelessness in California. Hmm. As far as playwriting goes, have you thought about maybe trying another one in the future? Yes, I think I would be open. I want to see how this one does. Next spring, I'm looking at all the venues here on the island for putting it on, and they're very open. Hmm. So I'm hoping that one or two places will put the play on. And now that you've been through this, what advice would you offer to authors listening right now who are just starting out? 
Well, as Margaret Atwood says, who's a very famous writer, you sit down and you start writing. If you have an idea, you've got to start. That's the big thing. And have your wastebasket right at your side. So if you think you're making errors, you can throw it in the basket. And she usually laughs. And then just keep on writing. And gradually, the ideas take hold. And soon you are writing your book. Mm. Arlene, what was the moment like for you when you got to hold this book in your hands for the first time? Well, I was very excited. When it just came in last month, I was very excited, and all my friends were very excited as well. Hmm. How do you deal with writer's block? It plagues almost all of us when we sit down to write from time to time. How do you deal with something like that? Well, I start to write, even if I'm having difficulty getting the thoughts in my mind. And as I continue writing, even if it's maybe silly stuff, Gradually, there's just something that takes hold, and eventually I overcome it. As Margaret Atwood said, you just have to keep writing, and eventually the idea starts to form. And I do agree with her that that has been my experience. Hmm. Well, I encourage our listeners to check this book out. It's called The Viet Co Conundrum. It's written by Arlene S. Mighton, and it's published by Covenant Books. You can find it everywhere, of course, Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes and Google Play, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Arlene, thanks again for joining me here tonight. I had such a wonderful time talking with you. Well, thank you for the interview, and I had a wonderful time talking to you. Rest Area 10. It's the new, very interesting book out in stores now by Ron Freeman, and I'm talking with him right now about it. Ron, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Rest Area 10, this thing really piqued my interest. Can you tell me what it's about? Sure. Rest Area 10 is a book about ordinary people having extraordinary experiences with a maintenance worker in a rest area that only exists while they're there. Hmm. It's a story that brings Christ out of the Bible, away from the church, to exemplify his dynamic and unlimited personality in correcting and connecting people's lives. It's about Christ helping people move away from their disillusionment with the life they're leading or where their life is at, at the time. It moves Christ out in the community of people mm. with the help of the very people that have had experiences in Rest Area 10. What sorts of readers did you have in mind when you were writing this? <laughs> and that's interesting. I don't really have a target audience because I believe that anyone or everyone can take something from Rest Area 10 and apply it to their life. You can be highly educated and very spiritual, mm. or you can have no education and not be a spiritual person. Mm. And there's still something to take away from Rest Area 10. So I think it has appeal to anyone and everyone that just simply needs some guidance and counsel into what's going on. Because as any reader will find out, it deals with a lot of complexities in life. It deals with life itself. It deals with death. It deals with loss. It deals with people helping people. So that's a long answer, but I don't have a target audience, a specific target audience. Mm -hmm. Ron, can you go back and think about what sparked this idea and what persuaded you to sit down and write this and say, I got to release this to the world? I'm 69. It's taking me about 50 some odd years to get to this point. I had a very interesting experience when I was 16. I saw Christ one night. Hmm. He opened up a locked church. And after conversation with actually Jesus Christ, I opened my eyes up 
in the front of this church, I saw just an amazing light that you could not see through that did not illuminate the rest of the church. And from the light, he said, wherever you go, I will always be there. He created the opportunities for me to go back to a college I did not want to go back to, to learn things I thought I would never use in my entire life because I am a rancher. When I went back, I took a creative writing course. Mm. And the college professor, after I wrote two essays, stopped me as I was leaving and said, I want to talk to you. I was there on academic probation. My first two essays I wrote, the first one was a D over an F and the second one was a C over a D. And he sat me down and he looked at me and in a very elevated voice said, you are not college material. You just shouldn't be here at all. Wow. And then his total demeanor, his, his expression on his face changed. And he handed me two grammar books and he said, if you take these and you work really hard with my help, someday you are going to become a writer. Do not get discouraged. Don't quit. Don't stop writing. It doesn't matter what you're writing. Don't stop writing. So I took his advice and I, I've written since that. I wrote three manuscripts within five or six years after college. Wow. But I wanted to write something more. I wanted to bring my experiences to life. Rest Area 10 is what I call spiritual fiction. But the experiences that my characters have, the dialogue, the scenes are close to what I have had my entire life. It has been a phenomenal life. Wow. But I came in the house one day and I said, okay, Lord, what are we going to do now? Very clearly, he said, rest area 10. And I said, okay, what's rest area 10 about? For the next two and a half hours, Corey, I sat down with legal pads and wrote a summation of rest area 10. Wow. Rest area 10 has developed into a series of books of which there are, there will be 10. If I stop the series, I'm not sure I will, because <laughs> It's very complex. It pulls a lot of people's lives together and they move out in the community. It's very complex. So everything kind of emanated from what I tell people being humiliated by an outstanding professor. Wow. It's called Rest Area 10. It's written by Ron Freeman and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere that you go shopping for books like Amazon and Barnes and Noble, iTunes, traditional brick and mortar stores everywhere. Ron, thank you again for stopping by the show. I had a great time chatting. Thank you. Thank you a lot. 16 Years in Captivity. This is the new book by James Optic. You can buy it in stores now. And I'm really happy that James is right here with me now to talk about it. James, thank you for joining me tonight. Glad to be aboard. It's a pleasure. It's really exciting you have this book out in stores. Can you tell me what 16 Years in Captivity is all about? It's about this young mother who gave birth at a younger age to a younger guy. The man she trusted turned his back on her. So now she's stuck on welfare trying to raise a son. The little boy becomes addicted to a life of crime. The mother's holding on with her faith to God, but the boy is out of control. And he's going through life, rough life. So he gravitates towards the game world. And he sees them as family because he was given lack of love from his family. So the game world brings him in, and he loves it. He loves it. He loves it. But God kept his hands over the boy and kept watch over the boy throughout everything the boy was getting involved with. He kept protection around the boy and made death behave. So he started showing the boy visions of things that Christians argue about to this day, like the Trinity. He revealed the Trinity to the boy. He brought the boy to the third heaven. He brought the boy to his presence, literally. He started showing the boy angels and demons. And the boy started trusting God. And God moved through this boy and revealed his power, opened up doors that no man could open and 
What I mean by that, he opened up doors for the boy to join the federal agent as a convicted felon. Wow. Now, James, where did the idea for this come from? My mother. Hmm. My mother. My mother and God. Hmm. Was this a book that took you a long time to write? Yes, it did. My mother passed, and when she passed, it, it kind of kicked it off. Hmm. It pushed it on. I'm sorry to hear about your mother. Have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing a book or being published? No, first time. First time. Well, congratulations on getting a book Thank out you. there. I'm sure you learned an awful lot about things along the way. Yes. What advice would you give to somebody who's just starting out? Hanging there. It's going to be hard. Learn. Surround yourself with people that you can trust. Keep writing. Keep pushing. Get with a good company. They're going to stand behind you. Pray. And then it'll all come together. Mm. As long as you don't stop. But when you stop, then everything else stops. James, this is such a personal story to you. Would you say that this was an easy book to write, or was this difficult? It was difficult, because I had to expose everything. I had to just let it all out and reveal it to the public of all the things I've been through and, and the things God has done for my life and what he did. You know, we hear about it in churches, and we see on the Internet, and we hear about it in the, in the Bible. A lot of people won't experience that, and this person... I get, you know, I actually got a chance to experience mm. the things that he talks about in the Bible and that is heard in the churches. James, have you given any thought to writing again and getting more books published? Yes, yes. People are asking me to write again. <laughs> <laughs> they're, asking for, they're asking for a part two. They <laughs> got it. You know, people are asking me to, to do a part two to the book already. Like, they said they love it. So amazing. Whenever you hold that first copy in your hands, what's that moment like for you? Oh, man. Oh, man. This is a feeling that I can't even describe. Like, mm. here's this child that comes from poverty. Mom was stranded on welfare, a broken family. People doubted. People doubted him because he was addicted to a life of crime. And, you know, they limit criminals to a certain area where they can only progress in. But here you are holding this book. Oh, man. It was just overflow. <laughs> I wanted to cry, run, shout, jump off a mountain skydive. <laughs> it was just so amazing. Now, James, your faith, your relationship to the Lord is obvious. So was this primarily a Christian audience that you were reaching out to, or did you have a broader readership in mind? Both Christian and young mothers, mothers, hmm. grandmothers, fathers. There's hope. Don't give up on your child. You know, all that we see, only thing we see is the trouble, but we don't know the struggle. Hmm. What's causing the child to act out? You know, everything now is mental health. They confuse behavior with mental health. And it's not mental health. It's a reason why he's acting out. It could be, hey, he could have went through the same thing. His mother trusted someone. She got pregnant and his dad was gone. So now they're struggling. So it, it was both Christian. And I wanted the Christian to understand that God is real. And there is a such thing as Trinity and the devil is real. Things are going on and prophecy must be fulfilled in the Bible. It must take place. I encourage my listeners to check this book out. It's called 16 Years in Captivity. It's written by James Optic, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can find this everywhere that you shop for books, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. James, thank you again for joining me here tonight. Thank you for reaching out, glorifying God, telling your story, which wasn't an easy thing. I had a really nice time talking tonight. And thank you for giving me this opportunity.
It's a short but powerful book of encouragement. It's titled, Who I Am in Christ, Encouragement for the Tough Days. It's written by Christine Larson, and I'm really happy that she's sitting here with me now to talk about it. Christine, thank you for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me. Can you tell me all about Who I Am in Christ? Who I Am in Christ. It is about 51 examples from the Bible, Scripture, with a little bit of commentary after each one that just describes our identity in our Lord Jesus Christ. Very short, easy to read encouragement for when we're feeling down. Hmm. Was it primarily a Christian audience you were looking to reach? It is written to those who understand the Bible, but it's not exclusive. Hmm. I think that anybody who's feeling down could benefit from this book. It will lead them back to the Bible if they were once a believer and a backslidden, or it would lead them to the Bible if they've not yet discovered who they are in Jesus. Hmm. Christine, can you tell me about what lit the spark for this book? Where'd you get the idea? So this was actually a personal endeavor for myself. It started out with verses on note cards for myself to memorize and encourage myself when I was having those down days. Hmm. And then it just sort of started forming on my computer. I was like, you know, this could be a book. Mm -hmm. And so I started writing out the verses on my computer and things would start popping into my head. And I'm like, oh, I should write that down. And pretty soon here I had a book. <laughs> was it a long process for you altogether? The process wasn't that long, no. The book initially started, huh? I have to confess, as a diversion from my doctoral paper. <laughs> Those of us that are really good at procrastinating find other things to do. Mm -hmm. After I graduated, though, God put a little spark in me, and he's like, you started this. You should finish this. And so I sat down, and I finished it after graduation, and it wasn't too long that I was looking for someplace to publish it. So the whole process, maybe eight months. Mm. Now, is this your first time in the arena of publishing? It is. It was quite an adventure. I bet it was. I'm sure you learned a lot. Uh, what advice would you give to somebody else who's just starting out? The best advice I can give is to just do it. I know that's very cliche, and a lot of people say that, but it's your story. It's what's inside of you. Just put it on paper, no matter what it looks like. There are professionals out there willing to do the pretty stuff, the editing, the formatting, the revising. And I would just say, get your thoughts out on the paper. Mm, great advice. What was that moment like for you then when you got to hold the first copy of Who I Am in Christ in your hands? Yeah, it was almost undescribable. Mm. My husband and I, we just looked at each other. We couldn't believe that we had this actual book in our hands. It was overwhelming. It was exciting. It was, I mean, scary to think about where do we go from here? Mm. I was grateful. I was in awe. I was excited. There's so many emotions that were going through me at that time. Mm. Would you do it again? Have you considered writing another book and being published some more? I have, and I am. I just turned in two more books to the publisher, mm. and I have a couple of more on my computer. Through this process, I have discovered that just by listening and being tuned into the voice of God, he has deposited this inside of me. Not something I ever thought I would do in my entire life. But the more I listen and lean on God, the more the words just start flowing out of me. Mm. Writing can be such a joyful process, can be so much fun, but it's not always easy. You know, sometimes the words just don't flow out and you hit writer's block. How do you deal with something like that? I think you just take a break. You have to walk away and reset your mind. 
just like with your computer, when your computer is stopped, the first thing we do is we shut it down and we restart it. Mm. And so with writer's block, it's, I think it's the same thing. You shut it down for a while, you go do other things. Maybe the next day you come back and you try again. Now, looking back over it all, what would you say for you is the most rewarding aspect of being a published author? I think I have to say being able to have created something to share with other people. Mm. Like I said, you know, it's not just for the established Christian, but hopefully it leads others to Christ through the fact that they're feeling sad that day and they decide to pick it up and read a page. And hey, you know, what is this Christ? Who is this? Why does this verse resonate with me? That's what I hope it does for others. Mm. Now, Christine, it's obvious that your relationship with Christ is a big inspiration in your life. Who else inspires you when it comes to what you write and what you create? I read a lot of preachers and teachers. Hmm. I read people like Mark Batterston and Lisa and John Bevere and Christine Kane. Those are my inspiration, I think, to dig deeper into my faith and live out my faith. And I think they probably had a little bit to do with inspiring me in writing this. <laughs> I encourage our listeners to check this out, especially if you're in need of some encouragement. It's called Who I Am in Christ, Encouragement for the Tough Days. It's written by Christine Larson, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can get this everywhere. You go shopping for books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Christine, thank you again for joining me tonight. I had a great time talking with you. Well, thank you so much. I had a great time, too. Sitting down here with me now at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author Robert B. Baker. Robert, thank you for joining me tonight. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad you're here. You got a new book out. Congratulations, by the way. People can get it everywhere. It's called Fit for a King, a Bedtime Story. So can you tell me what it's all about? Certainly. Well, it is an old and familiar story centered around the birth of Jesus Christ. However, it's told from a different perspective in that it's told from the perspective of the stable that housed the manger. Hmm. So this stable comes to realize his own worth through the circumstances of Jesus' birth. So kind of unique and different, even though the story is familiar. Absolutely. Love that idea. Where'd you get it from? You know, it just popped into my head. Uh, <laughs> so I will say that the Lord dropped that in on me, I guess. It just popped in one day, I, 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 several years ago. I remember thinking, well, that manger just wasn't out there by itself in, the, in, in nowhere. It had to be inside something. And so it's inside a stable, and the story kind of took on, on, on a life of its own from there. What ages of readers do you think would get the most enjoyment out of this? I've decided on your elementary school readers, so that would probably be fifth grade and below. I do have had some middle schoolers, sixth graders uh, that have enjoyed it, but I, I, I'm thinking really fifth grade and below, it would be targeted. But the lesson is universal. Mm. So I have had some parents who have read the book to their children who cannot read for themselves yet. Mm comment on the lesson from the story. Mm. Uh, Robert, have you ever ventured into this arena before of writing and publishing? This is my first. I've always written poetry and, and short stories, but never anything that I felt was publisher worthy. Way back, as they say in the day, 
when I was in college, I had a couple of articles published at a school magazine, but this would be my first foray in the book world. What was it like for you then whenever you got the first copy and you got to hold it in your hands for the very first time? It was amazing. Yeah. I, I, I will tell you, the box came and I wasn't expecting it and I was in a hurry. So I threw the box in the back of my car and went about my business and it stayed there a couple of days. And I remember I had this box in the back of my car. <laughs> so I pulled the box out and opened it up and it's the copies of my book. And I, it is an indescribable feeling to actually hold in your hands the physical manifestation of what started on the inside. Hmm. It was perfectly indescribable. And I put a, car, uh, a copy in the car and went to go pick up my daughter from basketball practice. And she opens up the door. She sees the book. She screams, Dad, your book, and <laughs> grabs it and runs back in to show all of her teammates. So it was exciting all over again. The book is called Fit for a King, A Bedtime Story. It's written by Robert B. Baker, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere like Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, everywhere. Robert, thank you again for joining me tonight. I had a wonderful time learning about Fit for a King and just a great time chatting. Well, it's certainly been a wonderful conversation, and I thank you for the time and the opportunity to share this book and my feelings with your audience. Thank you. I'd like to welcome to the show right now author Akinatayo Emmanuel. Akinatayo, thank you for joining me. Thank you so very much. Thank you for having me. It's exciting you have a new book out in stores right now. It's titled Canceling Appointment with Death, COVID-19 Pandemic, Using Divine Missile Defense System Against Invisible Global Weapon of Mass Destruction. So can you tell me about it? Yes, of course. First of all, thank you for having me on the show. Absolutely. I believe very strongly everybody's aware of the prevalent problem. Let me call it darkness that is really shrouding the entire world. I had this question before, and then the world was able to really uh, overcome it. So this pretty much is taking a new turn. It's affected the entire world. You know, it's something that started according to what we are told. It started in a laboratory in one in China. And it seems as if it's just, it has no, no ending. So we have a lot of mutants and variations and here and there. So for we Christians, children of God, there is a way out. You know, we're not supposed to really suffer what the world is suffering. I, I got inspiration from what happened in Egypt when the children of Israel were in Egypt and they were in a place called Goshen. So if we read the Bible, it says that even though there is darkness on their attack and lies and storm in Egypt, there is a place where God kept his own children and they weren't affected by that. So this is our time for us to display that really we have a place in God where we kept and God is able to protect us and preserve us. And most importantly, for us to fulfill our days here on earth. Hmm. Akinatayo, was it then primarily the Christian audience that you were looking to reach with this? Really, it's broad, hmm. trying to reach the Christian audience and also to reach the market people and contemporary people. You don't have to be a Christian, but of course, it will end up to many considering their walk with God and also becoming a Christian. Hmm. That's the ultimate. That is, uh, it's to reach out to Christians who doesn't know they are right in Christ 
and also to reach out to the contemporary people, market people, to know that, hey, there is a place where you can hide. Because when you look at it, it seems as if everything is failing. You know, you don't want to take the vaccine, you want to take vaccine. We've had different kind of reports here and there, and it seems as if nothing is really securing. So for the Christian, they have a way. They need to know that. We don't want to walk in ignorance. Ignorance is one thing that makes people to die. You know, my people perish for lack of knowledge. But for the market people and contemporary people who doesn't have any Christian background, they know that there's a place to run to and they can be protected and preserved during this very, very critical moment. Did this book take you a long time to write and put through the publishing process? It really does not because the event keeps evolving. Mm. It's a kind of evolving moment. In my generation, I've never witnessed things like this before. When everything was shut down in the United States, I was thinking, oh, in two weeks, everything's going to be back. (laughs) So it was just like a dream. So being at home and watching things unfolding, you know, in our eyes, even the children, it was just like you're sitting down, you're watching things happening and you're writing it down. You know, you're hearing all kinds of responses and everybody here and there. And it's just like, okay, a generation will come, a people will come one time that will ask questions. The children will be born and say, what really happened? What really happened? How did it happen? What did we do? Was there a remedy? Was there a refuge? Was there safety? So it was like documentation and also creating answers to uh, some of the questions as it evolved. Now, looking ahead, have you given any thought to writing another book and being published again? Yes, I'm looking at writing a book towards wisdom, you know, because I believe very strongly that, yes, we might have might, we might have strength and skill, and I have connections and deep pockets and all that kind of a thing. I believe very strongly that one thing that is lacking might be wisdom, and wisdom is really very important. And so when we say wisdom, what kind of wisdom are we talking about? You know, we have different kind of wisdom. So I really want to write something on wisdom. Are we talking about the wisdom of this world? Are we talking about diabolical wisdom? We're talking about governmental wisdom. Are we talking about financial wisdom? So I want to really write about wisdom. Or are we talking about wisdom that is God personified? Because if you look at the creation that we have, the world, everybody we know that there must be somebody who is wise, who's behind this creation, galaxies, stars, and universe. That should be from a depth of wisdom. With wisdom, we can go a long way. We can, you know, we can really reach a lot of heights. But we need to know that kind of wisdom and, and whether it's accessible, whether we can be a part of it. I encourage our listeners to check out this book. The name is Canceling Appointment with Death. COVID-19 pandemic, using divine missile defense system against invisible global weapon of mass destruction. This is written by Akinatayo Emmanuel, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can find this everywhere you shop for your books, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Akinatayo, thank you again for joining me tonight. I had a great time talking. Thank you so very much for having me, and I appreciate it. Sitting down with me now here at the Reader House Author Roundtable is author William R. Mitchell. William, thank you for joining me here tonight. I'm glad for this opportunity. Thank you. Congratulations on getting a new book out there in stores. It's called A Home for Now. Can you tell me what it's about? Well, it is a story that I started when I was interested in the lives of one of my tenants because I was still a landlord and still am in a way. The tenant was having a little trouble and got sick and died. And 
the dying was sad to me. And I thought back over the time we'd spent together. And as a matter of fact, my elderly brother, who is 11 years older than me, but he's passed now, we had worked on the house that she lived in. In the course of doing that, I got to know the tenant, and her story was very interesting to me. Then when she got cancer and had to go to the nursing home and died an unusual death, the story caught me, and so I wanted to tell the story, and that's where I started. Hmm. I didn't know where the novel was going to go. I just started in and started by getting background, and eventually the plot covers 80 years. The same two people, myself and my brother, were the main characters. And I was able to use my experience as a landlord and as a door-to-door salesman at one time and a university professor and dean and finally a pastor of small-town churches. Wow. And in that business, businesses, I had a lot of intimate contact to people with serious life problems that couldn't quite find their way out of. So that started me on the story, and only when I was well into it did I really discover what I wanted to do. Hmm. I managed to see that it was going to be highly thematic, and it was going to be a study of identity, what makes a sense of the self. Partly it's a matter of the homes you've lived in. Some Hmm. of them are temporary, some of them are lifelong, but the nature of the home has a bearing on the kind of self you're going to be. And then the troubles that one encounters will have a bearing. And the other people that enter your life will affect you for good or bad. And it'll be pleasant or unpleasant, perhaps. But all that helps to shape the self you grow in to be. So the the house became a kind of a symbol for identity Hmm. for the people that have lived there and have been shaped by it. Bill, have you ever written or, or published a book before this? Oh, yes. I've published six or seven books. This is my third novel, but this is the first one that I've published with a publisher the size of Christian Faith. Hmm. This, and I think, is going to circulate better. I was so busy in my life, concerned with other things, I never really tried to promote my work. Hmm. But I'm trying now because Christian Faith really is interested in getting it around, and I am too. Hmm. Have you thought about writing another book and getting more published in the future? Well, I would be quite interested, but I'm 91 years old. (laughs) Whether I write another book is problematic. I've written three novels, a handful of poems, well, two sizable collections, a collection of essays on higher education, and then what you'd call, I guess, sermonic essays, a a devotional book Hmm. on the Sermon on the Mount. So I don't know whether I'll write something more. I've got two novels that I've started, Hmm. and I'm not getting on with them because I've run into both cases a plot hole Hmm. I don't know what to do with. I put them back, and I'll look at them from time to time. And I frequently do that with something that comes to me in a shape I can't quite define. I'll have a go at it, and if I don't like what I've done, I'll lay it aside and maybe come back to it sometimes years later. Hmm. In the case of poems, that happens very often, and they turn out better after the long soap. I encourage our listeners to check this book out. It's called A Home for Now. It's written by William R. Mitchell, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can buy this everywhere that you find books, Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. 
William, thank you so much for joining me tonight. I had a really nice time talking with you. Thank you for calling me and for using me this way, and best of luck with it. I appreciate everything that Christian Faith is doing to help. Ohio, 88 counties of giants, the ancestors that preceded us. This is the new book by Chris L. Leslie, and I'm really happy that he's right here with me now to talk about it. Chris, thanks for being here tonight. Oh, you're welcome. Can you tell me all about Ohio, 88 counties of giants? This really piqued my interest. It is an anthropologic study of the sheer magnitude of skeletons that range between 7 to 12 feet tall. Hmm. And they've kind of been lost to time. I wanted to make a point with writing this book, and the point is is that the number of skeletons above seven feet are more than anyone could even imagine. And I just happened to stumble across the idea when newspapers and reference guides, county histories, and Smithsonian annuals were digitized. Hmm. I just took full advantage of that and uh, produced this book. You're published by Christian Faith Publishing, so was it primarily a Christian audience that you were looking to reach? Not necessarily. It can be used because obviously it does come against the idea that there are little half monkey, half people, or ape men. You know, they they would have had to be smaller than humans. Mm -hmm. But the presence of seven footers in the fossil record and found all over the United States does away with that, I think. I think it'll be difficult for someone who is an atheist to explain this in a way that would work with the evolutionary theory. But it is peer-reviewed. I mean, the majority of the accounts come from county histories, medical journals, museum records, and various other type of peer-reviewed sources. Hmm. Chris, can you go back and, and think about what lit the spark for you to sit down and start this book? You know, they say necessity is the mother of invention. Hmm. And I saw a need. There was a necessity for anthropology to be looked at more closely by the Christian and creationist community. Hmm. And there's been a few people in the past who have touched on that, like Lubinow and Jack Coazzo. They've done books on anthropology, but it seems to be a, a subject that is avoided even, even a bit by the creationist community. I just felt like this is something that needed to be written, and I wanted it to be out there, so I just took the charge to to make it happen. Hmm. Have you ever done anything like this before when it comes to writing a book or being published? Not exactly. Not a book. I have done some comic book work in the past. I remember I came up to an editor, and I was going to show him some of my artwork for a specific comic book, and there was a girl in front of me, and she walked away crying. And he he was just so hard on on people. And I handed him a book expecting him to be really hard on me. And he said, you know, the fact that you have a book shows that you or someone else put the money forward to make this happen. Hmm. He said, I hate looking at portfolios. Having a published book is everything. Hmm. And so, you know, I thought the same thing has to be true in comics as it does with books. Having a book does open some doorways. Absolutely. Have you thought about writing again, writing another book, getting published? Yes. I've got several started. I'm thinking about doing one on Indiana. Hmm. I'm well into that. And I thought maybe, you know, having more than one state that has every single county puts the message across more strongly. Hmm. There's some other subjects that I thought, you know, the same thing that the book doesn't exist out there and it needs to. One is on uh, giant horses. Hmm. There's an increase in size in horses going into the past. 
if you're to look at evolutionary sources, you would think the exact opposite. But fossils like Equus giganteus, Equus enormous, the Christian community is completely, you know, in the dark on these things. And I wanted to show that concept from a Christian perspective. Also, the subject of Christmas. I'm going to write a book showing some historical documentation on Christmas that would help to verify the 25th as the date. I think that needs to be done as well. Absolutely. What would you say is the most rewarding aspect now of being a published author? I think just being taken seriously, more serious about any specific subject that you're writing about. Mm. Like I said, it kind of opens some doorways. There's definitely a vibe and energy that comes along with it. You're more busy. There's things to do in the, before, during, and after. There's definitely a little bit of fame and self-reward that comes along with writing a book. The book is titled Ohio, 88 Counties of Giants, The Ancestors That Preceded Us. It's written by Chris L. Leslie, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. Of course, you can get this everywhere. You go shopping for books, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Chris, thank you again for stopping by the show and talking with me. I had a really nice time. All right, thank you. Right now, I'm speaking with author Leonard D. Hodera here at the Reader House Author Roundtable. Leonard, thank you for joining me here tonight. Thank you for asking me. Congratulations on having a new book out in stores. It's called The Adventures of Bad Boy Billy. Can you tell me all about it? It's a book about a boy during World War II who was sent uh, away from home to live with a great-grandmother up in Wisconsin on a farm. Hmm. Now, he's a city boy, and to wrap it up in a nutshell here is, uh, quote Mother Teresa, the most terrible poverty is loneliness and the feeling of being unloved. So uh, as a 12-year-old, when or somewhere in that age, is sent away into a strange country to live with strange people in a strange land, let's say. It's quite a shock, and I believe that incidents like that can be remembered completely, and I remember completely how that was. So I wanted to put it down into a form, and uh, I found this idea of a farm because I have uh, been up to a farm several times in my older years and uh, imagined uh, what it would be like to be sent away from a busy city into a land where there was no electricity at the time, because this, uh, this book that I fashioned is, takes place during World War II, and there's no radios, and the lights are, uh, you know, gas lamps and so forth. It's a matter of survival up there with people who are different, who work from sun up to sundown, and are kind of harsh and hard because the only thing they do or know is work. And during the summertime, that's Larry land up in Wisconsin, and it's not good land up there. It's, a, it's a, with rocks and boulders and whatnot. So the work is very hard, and uh, it's a dairy land. And the fact is that you have to supply the hay and the whatnot for the livestock. And this is all under, under a 90-degree sun, most likely. Wow. And the young people want to be like the men. The young boys want to, be, uh, want to keep up with the men so they can be classified as, you know, I'm a man. I mean, I'm doing a man's work, and it's tough, and especially tough on the city boy. I think I'll quote the last line, which I think is pretty good. I was happy, but it was a sad kind of happy. It cost too much. That's the end of the book. Hmm. Leonard, what kind of a reading audience were you looking to reach with The Adventures of Bad Boy Billy? Surprisingly, I live in a community here down in Florida half the time, and 
it's very well welcomed by the older generation because it gives them recourse to thinking about what life was like way back in the 40s. They are familiar with what life was in the 40s or 50s in the wartime and all that kind of stuff. They thoroughly enjoy the book. So it's, it's, it's a surprise, a, a nice surprise to me that not only do the young people like it, but there doesn't seem to be any age limit. Mm. And I think that's also because of my storytelling method or way, let's say. I don't believe in a reportive type of writing, and which a lot of writing is, but I'm a very fond admirer of Writers like Larry Brown and Fitzgerald Hemingway, James Jones. It's using words, not reported type of way, but a metaphor, you might say, or something. But, you know, I think the thing is, he was big, uh, 300 pounds, but it was filled with laughter. That spilled out along the way. That's a unique way of saying it, I think. Instead of saying, you know, we were driving along and he uh, cracked a lot of jokes and we laughed a lot. Well, I encourage our listeners to check out this book. The book is called The Adventures of Bad Boy Billy. It's written by Leonard D. Hodera, and it's published by Christian Faith Publishing. You can find this everywhere. You shop for books like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, and traditional brick-and-mortar stores. Leonard, thank you for joining me tonight. I had such a nice time talking. Okay, thank you. I'm really happy to welcome back to the Reader House Author Roundtable, author Bon Kay. Bonnie, thank you so much for joining me again. Thank you for having me again, Corey. This is great. It is great having you back here. We are again going to Mr. McTavish for another book. This time it's Mr. McTavish Goes to the Hospital. So can you tell me about this story? That's right. This is a second book in my series about the Scottish Terrier, service dog who enjoys traveling with his owner, Gma, which I call her. She takes him everywhere and they have fun and gives him surprises when he goes because there's always some children involved. Mm. And again, what ages of children do you think would be best suited for this series? I'm gearing it to the three to 10 year olds, but I'm sure that most people will enjoy to have a new character who is a dog that's lovable. I hope they will enjoy the short stories from the Mr. McTavish's point of view. Absolutely. Now, have you planned ahead? Is there more in the series that we can look forward to? Yes. I'm working on my third book in the series, which is going to be Mr. McTavish Goes to the Community Park, which I'm hoping will be finished around April. Well, that's wonderful. Now, as the series goes on and you're writing more and more and you're getting more familiar and comfortable with the process, do you find it's getting easier and quicker for you? Yes, it's a little bit easier than the first one because the first one was involved with getting the characters illustrated correctly. Mm. And now that we've got the main characters down, it's going a lot more smoothly. Have you given any thought to maybe doing something a little bit different when it comes to writing and publishing in the future? Of course, continuing the Mr. McTavish series, but maybe exploring something else. Well, you know, Corey, most people always say that they have a book in their head. (laughs) And I do have one of those, too, but I'm not sure whether I'm really into doing some sort of a novel or something like that. So I think I'll just continue with Mr. McTavish for now. Mm -hmm. Now, it's obvious Mr. McTavish is a huge part of your life, a big inspiration to you. But who else in your life inspires you, Bonnie, when it comes to creativity, your writing, or just your life in general? Well, a lot of friends and everything involved with getting me started and stuff like that. But Mm -hmm. I think it was my dog, of course, McTavish. And then I had an interview or something with an online company that was giving out donations to 
teachers who are looking for funding and stuff like that, that they could have to help them get things for their classes all over the United States that they couldn't get from any kind of a school budget. And that was really the main inspiration for my very first book. And now I wanted to continue with that and giving inspirations like the second book with the Mr. McTavish Goes to the Hospital to help out children in a hospital setting. Hmm. Bonnie, you're doing so much to reach out and to help people. What would you say is the most rewarding aspect of being a published author now? So far, it's been the gratification from some of my friends that have bought the books for their grandchildren, of course. Hmm. Also helping out with maybe the schools and things like that as we go along. Now, I'm going to revisit a question that I've asked you before, but I know this is such a learning process. Every time you go through it, you (laughs) learn something differently. But What words of wisdom could you offer to the people who are listening right now who are just starting out and want to get published? Well, like I said, everybody seems to have a book in their head, which I did. And um, I think the best way that I went about it was getting a hold of a good publisher, which helped me out with my ideas and overlooking the whole process for me, which I really appreciated. And if they can do that and have some support from their family and friends, I think everybody should have a good experience. Mm. And could you tell me a little bit about what is so passionate to you, your love for service animals like McTavish? I've always had pets all my life, mostly dogs. And Mr. McTavish being a Scotty dog was surprisingly a very calm type of an individual, very rarely would bark. And so I had a very good inspiration from him that he is good with children and he can give some encouragement to children to help others. I encourage everybody to check this book out. It's called Mr. McTavish Goes to the Hospital. It's written by Bon Kay, and it's published by Fulton Books. You can find it everywhere, of course, that you shop for books, like Amazon and Barnes & Noble, iTunes, Google Play, traditional brick-and-mortar stores, like I said, everywhere. Bonnie, it was wonderful speaking with you again. Thank you for coming on the show again, and can't wait to do it again. Thank you so much, Corey. It's been my pleasure. We hope you enjoyed this edition of the Reader House Author Roundtable, where authors from all walks of life come together to discuss the trials, tribulations, and triumphs of publishing their books. We hope to see you back here every Friday night at 8 p.m. or listen anytime via podcast at Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, and PodServe, to name just a few. The Author Roundtable is sponsored by Reader House Online Bookstore, where independent new authors come first. 